Hi, Pastor Chad Tucker here from Doxa Church in Burlington, North Carolina. To learn more about our new ministry and to find out about how you can partner with us, visit us online at doxaburlington.com. That's D-O-X-A burlington.com. We hope you enjoy the message. As we turn our attention now to God's Word, I invite you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3 in the Word of God. Revelation chapter 3. We are in, uh, beginning today, uh, the last letter to the church. We have been studying the letters to the seven churches uh, for quite some time. We are just kind of going phrase by phrase and we're understanding uh, the context in which those letters are written. We are looking at the background so that we can better understand the words of Christ. After all... If the Lord Jesus Himself wrote letters to the seven churches, then we want to see what He has to say about those churches. And at the conclusion of every one of those letters, the Bible says, Let he who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So yes, these letters were written specifically specifically to seven churches, individual churches in Asia Minor. And at the same time, the application of those letters apply to every church today that God gives ears to hear. We have seen, for example, how God evaluates a church. He is the head of the church, by the way. Remember what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against that. It is His church and He will, in fact, build His church. He died for the church and because He died in order that the church might live, He, and He's the head of the church, He can say exactly what church ought to look like. And what the people of God, when they come together as the body of Christ, as the church of God, how we should react and how we should live and how we should worship. And He can critique our churches and He can provide commendation and and we can learn the great things that He expects from us. We can also hear the challenges and we can hear the shortcomings of churches, the condemnation of Christ, if you will, so that we can guard ourselves as the body of Christ to be sure that we are not slipping into those patterns. For example, patterns like the church at Ephesus in chapter 2. That church was doctrinally straight, doctrinally pure. They believed the Bible. They stood on the truthfulness of God's Word. And yet Christ comes and He says, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Church, it's not enough to be doctrinally true. It's not enough to be doctrinally pure. It's not enough to be doctrinally correct. We must have love. We must have love. Love for Christ that extends to love for others. And not only did we see the letter to the church at Ephesus, but we saw the letter to Smyrna, the shortest of the letters, most encouraging. And Jesus basically says that there'll be many in that church who will be martyred for the faith. There are no real corrections to the letter of Smyrna. He just tells them to be faithful to the point of death. 
And then we come to the letter of Pergamum and he calls them to repent. And, and he says this to this church as he seeks to correct them. He says, you're doing some good things right. You are holding on to my name and you did not deny me in faith. But there are some who have allowed false doctrine to creep in and some who have gone astray. And he says some pretty strong words over in verse 16. He says, repent, otherwise I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Could you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ coming to fight against you? Thyatira, he uses strong language and issues a strong warning. Some of the strongest warnings we've seen so far, but they will pale in comparison to what we will see in Laodicea. And then he talks to Sardis, the dead and dying church. And yet, though they are dead and dying, they have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with Him in white because they are worthy. And we spend a lot of time dealing with the church at Philadelphia because this is the best church of all the ones that are mentioned. It's a long letter. gives a lot of detail and some wonderful promises about how we will escape the tribulation period. And we spent time unpacking that letter to the church at Philadelphia. And we come to the last letter today. And it's a letter to the church at Laodicea. And what we're going to do today is try to understand... Um, What we can know of this church. Try to understand what, how was this church founded? What were the issues that it was struggling with? We're going to drop down into the biblical world today to see what we can learn about Laodicea. It's going to be direct connection to Colossae and I'll share with you why in just a few moments. And the reason we want to do this is because this by far is the most severe letter With the most condemning language from Jesus Himself. And I don't think that it'd be right to just see what Jesus says without understanding more of their plight and more of their history. So that we can make sense of the things that He says. And we can, again, for the purpose of being warned ourselves. But also for the purpose of... Understanding God's expectations for His church. And so in Revelation chapter 3 verse 14, we're simply going to get to the first part of verse 1. Right to the angel of the church in Laodicea. And if you have your Bible and you want to go ahead and find your place... We're gonna, because we're gonna drop down into the biblical world and, and look at some things, we're gonna to have to be in the book of Colossians. We're gonna be in the book of Philemon. And so how it's going to go is we're going to go Colossians, Philemon. We're going to go from Philemon to Colossians. Okay? And as we, uh, as we do that, as we do that, then uh, we will go back to Philemon and come back to Revelation. So if you have a, a paper Bible, you might want to hold your place at uh, Colossians. And then hold your place. Turn to the right. Uh, if you find the book of Hebrews, turn left. If you find the book of Second Kings, you'll have to turn right a lot of times. Okay? A lot of times. It's in the New Testament. Colossians, Philemon, Colossians, Philemon, and then back to the book of Revelation is our intentions uh, today. Let's pray together as we always do as we open God's Word.
this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that You would speak, O Lord. That You would speak to us through um, Your Word. And Father, that we would be pleased to hear You and to have our lives transformed by You. Father, as we consider what it means to be a disciple of Christ, and what, as disciples, what we can expect and what You demand of us today. I pray, Father, that we would have eyes and hearts open, ready to hear and receive and apply the truths of Your Word. And Lord, we're going to give You the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, Amen. Laodicea, just to give you some background, is a large, wealthy city. It was so large, in fact, that they had chariot races there within the city. And people would come from all over to those chariot races. It was a large city. It was a very wealthy city. It was also a city that because it was large and because it was wealthy, it also was attractable to false teachers, particularly when the church was established. So you have this large city of Laodicea, and then eight to ten miles down the road, you have this, well, what we would call a podunk town. Do y'all know that term? You do? Podunk town? Right? That's the place where nobody knows where it is. It's just a crossroads. Um, It would just be a, a small, small place that would not be on most maps. And in fact, if you didn't know where it was, you probably wouldn't stumble across it. And if you blink, you would you would pass through it and, and miss it. And that was the little town or village of Colossae. So if you were in Colossae, you could look at eight to ten miles down the road and see the big city of Laodicea. If you were in Laodicea, I doubt you could see Colossae. But it was still only eight to ten miles away. There's some connection between what takes place in the city of Colossae and the city of Laodicea because they would be so close. As you are well aware, that oftentimes when it comes to culture and oftentimes when it comes to things happening and how things spread, it happens in the city and then spreads out into the rural parts. It's the cities that are the first to experience new ideas and new cultures and new things along those lines. And then from the city would flow out into the little villages and little towns from there. And so we're going to see this connection between the tiny town of Colossae and this major city of Laodicea. And we're going to see these connections together. And we're going to meet a man named Epaphras today. Epaphras. Uh, now some would say Epaphras. Uh, either way is fine. Epaphras or Epaphras. Either pronunciation is fine. But I want you to, to meet him and I want you to see the importance of his role in both the church at Colossae and the church at Laodicea. So for that, we have to go to Colossians chapter 1. Again, Colossians would be a small village, crossroads, 8 to 10 miles from Laodicea. And it would be a large, uh, where Laodicea would be the large important city. Colossians would be the little podunk town, uh, if you will. Paul did not go to the church, uh, did not found the church at Colossae. In fact, if you look in Acts chapter 28, just something to, to note that's important. 
Paul, by the time we get to Acts 28, had traveled to Rome. It was after his third missionary journey. He had been arrested and he was appealing to Caesar in Rome. And so he goes to Rome and the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 28 that when he was in Rome, he was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And Acts 28 concludes by telling us that Paul stayed two years in his own rented house. So he was imprisoned in his own house for two years. It would be here during his Rome imprisonment that he would write what's known as the prison epistles. The prison epistles would be um, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. These would be the prison epistles. And they're called the prison epistles because God stopped him from all of his missionary journeys and church planting, stopped him, locked him up with the guard and multiple guards that he witnessed to, but also expanded his writing ministry. I find it very interesting that there are two letters in the New Testament. Two of the 27 letters in the New Testament that are written not to Laodicea, the big, bustling, booming town, but two New Testament letters preserved forever in our Bibles, God's Word, written to little Colossae, little village, little town. Paul, on his third missionary journey, established a church in Ephesus. Epaphras apparently went up to Ephesus and heard the gospel, was saved, and came back to Colossae and planted the church. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1 verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. Now, how did they learn it? Look in verse 7. You learned this from Epaphras. Now, who is Epaphras? Notice how Paul describes Epaphras. He is our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has told us about your love in the Spirit. Epaphras. Think about that. What better words could be recorded in all of the Bible describing an earthly man. Notice what it says. It says that that he is, Paul calls him, dearly loved fellow servant. He's a bond slave. Paul calls him a faithful minister of Christ. He's not just interested in himself. He's not interested in his own glory. He, He cares about the gospel. And he cares that lost people receive the gospel. He heard the gospel and he was saved under Paul's ministry. And it wasn't enough for Epaphras to be saved. He had to come back to Colossae and coming back to Colossae, he began to share the gospel with other people. And lo and behold, the same gospel that saved Epaphras began to save people in Colossae as well. And as God began to work through His gospel, people began to see themselves in their own sinfulness and God in His holiness. 
God, people began to come to the place that they understood that their sin separated them from God and that they could not save themselves. They heard from Epaphras that the Lord Jesus Christ came to live the perfect, sinless, righteous life. And yet they took Him and arrested Him and beat Him and placed Him, nailed Him on the cross of Calvary. And God came and poured out His wrath on His Son on the cross of Calvary in order that our sins could be forgiven. And when the people of Colossae heard this, they repented of their sins, placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now there were multiple people in this city who were saved. And when you have multiple people in the city who are saved, They come together for fellowship. They come together for encouragement. They come together for the instruction of God's Word. And you know this, that when Christians come together and fellowship around God's Word, a church is planted. So the seeds of the Gospel. God blesses the sowing of the seeds and raises up believer calls them to come together. And when believers come together, there you have the church. Now hold your place there in Colossians, but look over, if you would, at Philemon. Look over in Philemon. Philemon tells us a little something about this letter. Philemon was a man... In fact, take a look here. Philemon chapter 1 begins with Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Now he's writing to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now look at this. And to the church that meets in your home. Meets in your home. Now... Philemon, we know through church history and through studying the Bible and other things that that we'll see some today and, and some later on. Philemon was a wealthy person in Colossae that got saved. And he had a large house. And so the church at Colossae actually met in Philemon's home. As people would be saved, they would come to his house. And they would do in his house just what we do in Sybil's house on Wednesday. Fit in how we can. Park how we can. Park was a little easier in those days. Their cars weren't quite as big. And what what they would do is, is they would filter into that house and they would have church there in the house of Philemon. Now, the book of Philemon, we're not going to get into that today, but if you're familiar with it, there was a slave named Onesimus, who, slave owner was Philemon. And and Onesimus had apparently uh, stolen some money or some goods and was a runaway slave. And he ran from Colossae to Rome, 800 to 1,000 miles, depending on whether he took the land route or the water route. And somehow, and the Bible doesn't say, he ran into the Apostle Paul, heard the gospel, and got saved. And Paul sends him back to get things right with Philemon, and he sends this letter with him. That's what the letter to Philemon is about. So this letter uh, to Philemon and the letter to Colossae, both of them are written to the church in Colossae. And you're thinking, I thought we were studying Laodicea. Go back to Colossians and you'll see how it ties in. Go back to Colossians. 
Now, go to Colossians chapter 4 this time. If you read the book of Colossians, and, and we'll briefly look at it, when this little church was established and it began to grow, it gathered the attention of some false teachers. And some false teachers came into the church. And when they came into church, they didn't announce and say, Hey, we're false teachers and we're going to teach some false truths. They came in and just started teaching things that were false. And remember now, Epaphras, Philemon, none of the people in the church had the Gospels. They didn't have the, the Bible that you hold in your hand. They didn't have this letter to Colossae. And so these false teachers began to teach things that sounded similar to the gospel in some ways, but was very contrary to the gospel in other ways. In fact, it becomes what's known as the Colossian heresy. These were false teachers. Epaphras was beside himself. Epaphras couldn't let these false teachers come in. And perhaps he got confused too. And he says, now, I don't know what's right or wrong. I know this is the gospel. I know this is truth. But I know the person that can tell us. And so Epaphras travels. He leaves the church at Colossae. Travels 800 to 1,000 miles by foot. Land or water is the 200 mile mark. If we went by land, it would be 1,000 miles. Went across the water, it would be 800 miles. To find Paul in Rome to ask him what is the truth and what is the truth that we should believe. Now, let's stop and marvel at that just a minute. Sometimes, it's difficult for people to drive across the town to go to church to find out what the truth is. It's even more difficult, for whatever reason, on Wednesdays (laughs) and Sunday nights, apparently. Here is Epaphras... And he was willing to travel 800 to 1,000 miles to go to Paul and say, Paul, here's what I'm hearing. Is this true? What is the truth? And so Paul heard it and he wrote a letter and he sent it to Colossae. And he wrote a letter and sent it to Laodicea. Look in Colossians chapter 4. Notice what he says in Colossians chapter 4. Just pick up in verse 12. Epaphras who is one of you, so Epaphras from the city of Colossae, Epaphras who is one of you, he's a servant of Christ Jesus, he sends you greetings, he is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. What a testimony of Epaphras. Wouldn't you, I can't wait, I'll be honest with you, I cannot wait to get to heaven and meet Epaphras. I mean, faithful minister, Servant of God, willing to travel 800 to 1,000 miles to find out what the truth is. Church planter, established his church. I mean, Epaphras is just, I mean, what a, what a phenomenal testimony that he has. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. He says, For I testify about him, about Epaphras, that he works hard for you. Now, now look at this. He works hard for you, but not just you, for those in Laodicea. And not just Laodicea, but for those in Heropolis. 
Epaphras was very concerned about the gospel going forth and healthy churches being planted and established. Paul sends greetings. He says, Luke, the dearly loved physician. And yes, that's the one who wrote Luke and Acts. He says, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea, verse 15, and to Nympha, the church in her home. After Now look at this, verse 16. After this letter, the letter of Colossae has been read at your gathering. Have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans. You see that? So Paul's saying that the things that are happening in this church and the things he's writing to this church, the church at Laodicea needs to hear as well, which means the same false teaching, false doctrine that was that was penetrating in the small church at Colossae was also penetrating the church in the big city of Laodicea. But now notice also what it says. Have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans. Now look at this. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So Paul wrote two letters. One to Colossae and one to Laodicea. The letter to Colossae is what we have in our Bible known as Colossians. It was inerrant, inspired, infallible, the Word of God. But now listen to me. Not everything that Paul wrote was inerrant, infallible, inspired of God. Only the things that he wrote that God ordained and are preserved for us in the Bible. This other letter, we don't have. We don't have any record of this letter. We don't know the content of this letter. But Paul wrote this letter, and there's another letter that he wrote also that we don't have. He wrote an additional letter uh, or two to the church at, at Corinth. And we don't have those letters either. And by the way, if they were to discover them, they wouldn't fit in the Bible because just because we find ancient writings, that doesn't become Scripture because it's ancient writing. It becomes Scripture because God spoke through holy men, Second Peter tells us, and preserved those writings perfect in every way for us. But there were, there were two letters. Now, these letters would be similar in nature, and the same issues probably would be going on in the city of Laodicea that were taking place in the city of Colossae. And Paul writes the letters, and he says, listen, write the letters, send it there, and then exchange the letters, because you will both benefit from the letters in in both places. Now, one of the things that's perplexing is, go back to Philemon. Are y'all, y'all trekking along with me? I know this is a lot of turning. I can't help it. God did it, not me. He spread His truth out in His Word. We're learning our Bibles. When's the last time you turned to Philemon and you've done it twice already today? Look at the end of the letter to Philemon. The end of the letter. In fact, there's only one chapter, so if you have to know what chapter in Philemon, you're probably in the wrong book, right? There's only one. We go by verses. So it's Philemon 21. If you're there, say amen. Listen to what he says. Since I'm confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. So Paul writes to Philemon. He says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. And he says, Onesimus, he's going to come to you. And he says, I want you to forgive him. And I want you to receive him as a brother. And he says, I have confidence you're going to do even more than what I'll say. And we'll look at that letter a different time. I just want to get to this. Look at verse 22. Meanwhile, 
Also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers, I will be restored to you. So Paul thought he was going to be released from prison in Rome, and his desire was to go to Colossae and to stay in Philemon's house. But now notice verse 23. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner. What? My fellow prisoner, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. Now, I don't know about you. I, sometimes we think the Bible is a big book and has a whole lot of information. But when I read this, I'm like, why can't the Bible give us more information? How in the world did Epaphras end up in jail with Paul in Rome? What did he do to get arrested? What did he do? Was he sharing the gospel? And for the same reasons the Apostle Paul was called up, what what happened? Something happened, probably for the cause of Christ. His testimony is sure. He's a faithful servant. Paul says all these things. Paul gives no indication that he did anything wrong. Chances are, and notice I'm saying chances are, we don't have scriptural authority, but something happened. Chances are it has to do with the gospel and the gospel going forth. Perhaps he was trying to win people to Christ. Perhaps he was trying to, to engage people in ministry. Who knows what he did, but somehow, Epaphras winds up in prison. Now, I know what people are thinking. I thought this. Huh. Well, that doesn't seem fair. We've taught our children all through the years. Life's not fair. Get over it. We just didn't do this thing in my house where just because one person got something, you had to do something for everybody. We didn't have to make sure that everybody got the same thing, got the same amount of money. It would all balance out to end. But we just don't do this fair thing at our house. So we can just throw out the argument, that's not fair. A faithful minister, servant, bond servant of Christ does all this, travels 800 to 1,000 miles to hear the truth, and God rewards him by putting him in prison? Well, how many of us have thought that, though? God, I've tried to live for you. I've tried to live by your word. I've tried to share Christ with others. I've tried to live on mission. God, I've tried to be faithful to your church. I've tried to study your Bible, pray, right? I've tried to be what we say, a good, solid, faithful Christian. And look at what's happened. Look at how things turned out. In fact, apparently some similar things happened to Demas. Demas is mentioned here. Here Demas is mentioned as he's a faithful, he's a co-worker. Other places Demas is mentioned as a faithful co-worker. Things got turned upside down for Demas and Demas just walked out. He just quit. He, he went out from us, Paul said, indicating he was never one of us. Paul said of Demas, he said, having loved this present world, he has abandoned the faith. Not Epaphras. Epaphras is there and, and you would say, how could this be, how could, why would God let this happen? Well, let me just, let me just offer this to you. Number one, God owes us no explanation for why He does the things that He does. 
In fact, God doesn't owe Epaphras an explanation either. Just by way of application, God doesn't owe you an answer for anything He's done or not done in your life either. God is who He is. God does what He does. No one gives counsel to God. No one, no, God's judgment is perfect and holy and God is sovereign in all things. And what God does, He does. He doesn't seek the counsel from others, even as we sing in our songs today. God does what He does and who are us, His creatures, His creation to question who God is and what He does. God owes you no explanation for the things that have happened for your life, whether good or for bad. The sooner you realize that, uh, the better off you are. The sooner you realize that God owes you nothing, no explanation, the better it is in your walk with God. You'll get over being angry of God. You'll get over being bitter at God. You'll get over holding grudges against other people. You'll get over all of those things and just trust God and trust in God's way. Was this Epaphras' reward? No, it wasn't. But let me just simply say this. Epaphras is a disciple of Jesus. And if we truly understand what a disciple of Jesus is, then none of these things will catch us off guard. And by the way, the things in your life that God does for His glory and for our good, even when we don't understand it, it will not catch you off guard either. I think it's amazing that that we're always thinking every time something goes wrong, right? God did this to me. What if it's just about being a disciple? We well, say, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. Oh, yes, you did. Do you remember what Jesus had to say? You know what the Bible has to say about being a disciple? Here's what the Bible has to say. No, no imprisonment wasn't Colossians, wasn't uh, Epaphras' reward, but it was his cup of discipleship that he would have to drink in order to enter into his glory, the cup of suffering, the cup of discipleship that Jesus says, can you drink the cup that I drink? You, you will. No, it wasn't his reward, but it is Epaphras presenting himself, now listen to this, as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the Bible says that, uh, that we as disciples will present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And we're all willing to present our, our bodies as a sacrifice, right? Because we forget that sacrifice means pain and suffering and hurt. And the Bible says that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is just our reasonable service or our spiritual worship. This was Epaphras, right? He was being the living sacrifice. He is living his life locked up for the cause of Christ. No, imprisonment wasn't his reward. But it was his race that God had placed before him. In fact, in the next book over Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, the Bible says that each of us have a race. He says this, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. 
And He gives us Christ as an example for the joy that lay before Him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God on the throne. Yes, it was His race. And all of us have a race that we will run. All of us have a race that we will run if we are going to be faithful to God and not be like Demas and and abandon the faith and return out into the world. And we don't know what happened to Demas. We mentioned this uh, last week or week before. Did God discipline Demas and bring him back in? If he's a true believer, absolutely. We'll see Demas in heaven. Or was he a false convert and was not really generated? And when the pressure was on, he departed and, and went back. We, we don't know. There's evidence of both. We know people who've been faithful in the church for a lot of years that do ridiculous stuff and go back out into the world. And we don't know if they're truly saved or have abandoned. Or if maybe they're just under the discipline hand of God. And He will return them. If they're true believers, He will. But this was His race. This was His race. Was it His reward? No. But this is His denying Himself and taking up His cross and following Jesus, just like He calls all of us disciples to do in Matthew chapter 16. This is Him being a faithful steward of what God had entrusted to Him in 1 Corinthians 4.12. This is Him being a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. These are the things that disciples do. This is what a disciple is. And this ought to be true of your life and my life. Will we... Go 800 to 1,000 miles by foot to hear the truth, to bring it back? Probably not. But whatever it is, your plight, whatever it is, your journey, whatever it is, your race, whatever it is that God calls you to be a living sacrifice for, one thing is for certain. The Bible says that every believer will experience the cross and the crown. And beloved... It will be in that order. The cross first and the crown to follow. Here he is. He's a disciple. Here he is, locked up in prison. And Paul sends the letter to Colossae. These false teachers have gotten in there. By the time we get to Revelation chapter 3... Verse 14, and this letter is written. This letter is written some 30 to 35 years later. Colossians chapter 2 tells us about the heresy that had gotten in the church. And Paul addresses those heresies point by point. And Colossians 3 and 4 we'll look at next week. Colossians 3 and 4 talk about how to live in light of who Christ is. And how to live practically in light of knowing Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. 30 to 35 years later... The Lord Jesus Christ writes this letter, and it is a scathing letter. It is some of the severest language that Jesus has used. This is not a good church at all. It's very condemning language that Jesus does. Remember, we've already seen where Jesus says, I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. You'll not even exist. This is some of the harshest Severe language. Now, these would probably be the second generation of Christians. They followed in the first generation's footsteps. 
By the time we get to Revelation, probably none of the people that were meeting in Philemon's house would still be there, would still be present. Their lifespans weren't that long in that day, in that time. You're talking roughly 35 years later, second generation that would perhaps fall into the same uh, position as the first generation, but maybe even a step away. What does Jesus say to these Christians? And what does he see this wrong? We will look at next week. Next week. This is just the beginning. We have to lay the foundation for where we're going and the things that are taking place. We learned a little something about discipleship today. And now we'll end and come back to this passage next week. So what do we get out of this today? Well, I hope a couple of things you get out of this. Number one is, is how to become a disciple. How to become a disciple of Christ. You repent of your sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. By repenting and believing and confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, He saves you. He redeems you. He brings you into the family of God. And listen to me carefully. Your life forever changes. You you can't say that the Creator of heaven and earth comes to reside in your heart and doesn't change you externally. That's impossible. It's impossible that God would come to reside in your heart. That the Holy Spirit of God would seal you until the day of redemption. That all the promises in the Bible become yes and amen in Christ. That you would have access to spiritually understanding God's Word. You'd have access to the throne of God in prayer and all of those things. And it not change your life. And your life gives no evidence that you're truly born again. Beloved, I'm sorry. You need to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. If that's true. Because I promise you on the authority of God's Word. If Christ is in your life, your life is different. Your life has changed. Is it perfect? No, none of us will be perfect. But we are moving towards perfection because God is at work in our life. But secondly, it means this, believer. Believer, it means that you're a disciple. And as a disciple of Christ, all these things are true about you. You have a race to run. You have an altar of God that you're to place your body on as a living sacrifice. You too are to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Him. The cross is not just a symbol we wear on a a necklace that all can see that we identify with Christ. It was an instrument of death. Where do you get off thinking that life as a believer is going to be a cakewalk? Not from the Bible. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be arduous. But you're not going to endure it alone. For God says that He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And He will walk with you in this difficult journey called life until He calls you home. So, beloved, you say, I didn't sign up for that. If you read your Bible, you'll see that you did. You'll see that you did. And trust that God will bless the efforts that you and I have to live for His glory, to expand His kingdom, to share the gospel, to make a difference. I don't...
I don't want to waste my life. Do you? I don't want to be caught up in trivial things that mean nothing. I don't want to get sidetracked by hurt feelings. I want to look to God, the author and the finisher of our faith, and live for His glory. If you're not, if you're not a Christian, and immediately following this service, would you just hang around and just meet with me and let me answer your questions. Find another believer and, and let's ask your questions. Call me. Let's sit down. Let's work through this so that you have the assurance of your salvation. And let's move on to mature in the faith so that we may be about multiplying disciples for His glory. Let's stand for prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. Lord, that you love us, that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. We're so thankful for the examples of Epaphras in your word. And Father, we don't know what happened to him. Was he released? Did he return? Did he die a martyr's death? Father, we don't know. Your word doesn't tell us. We do look forward to meeting him in heaven and learning more of his story. Father, I pray that we too would be willing to be obedient to whatever you call us, whatever task you call us to. May we be found faithful. And God, we just love you and we thank you and we thank you that you're at work in our church, at work in our lives. Continue to lead us for your glory in Jesus' name. And God's people said...